So um, something happened in this week's Torah portion and in this section of Torah that is not, it's not easily recognized. I spoke about it a little last week. So we all know how long the children of Israel were in the wilderness. How long? 40 years. But what we don't realize without kind of going deep is between the time of the Exodus and the time that the Lord said, because they did not have faith, that they, this generation will not make it in. Do we know the story? When the spies went out to the land, and they came back, 12 spies, and 10 of them gave a bad report. And then God said, okay, this generation, the generation that came out from Egypt will not see the land, and their children will go in. Do we know that the time between the Exodus and that statement from the Lord, do we know how long that was? One year. One year plus a little bit. That's it. The Torah portion after. We start to see the grumblings with, with, with Korah. We start to see they, the, the, the fights they had last week um, with, with some of the, some of the uh, neighboring lands. Do you know what year that is in the wilderness? 40. So between, like, Torah portion three weeks ago and the Torah portion two weeks ago, there's about 39 years of absolutely nothing. And it's hard to, you don't realize that. But when God said, You're, this generation isn't going in, the next generation will go in, they were stuck right where they were. For 38 years. We think that the whole Torah was a stretch of 40 years, and we read all about the whole thing. 38 years of nothing. And the Lord, I feel, gave me revelation about that and about Israel pertaining to that. Because the children of Israel, as we know, they lived in the land of Israel, but when God is upset with them, he kicks them out of Israel. He does not allow them in. And that's a sign of a season of punishment. We saw it in Babylon. And we see it with the Roman Empire who came and destroyed Jerusalem and scattered the Jews all around the world. That happened with the Roman Empire. That happened just after Yeshua, the Messiah, came on the scene. Yeshua came on the scene. They did not accept it. They did not have the faith. A generation later, Rome comes in, destroys Jerusalem. The Jews are scattered around the world. And it's been that way for 2,000 years until 1948 when Israel became a nation again. What I feel the Lord showed me is that this whole season in the Torah of silence, the 40 years of silence, just before that was the revelation again of Yeshua in the man of Joshua. Now, we've spoken here many times that Joshua and Yeshua share the same Hebrew name. And just before the spies went into the land, Moses renamed 
Hosea to Joshua. He was given the name, essentially, Yeshua. And right after that, the children of Israel were told, you're not coming into the land. You have a 40-year wait at this time. The same thing happened with the revelation of the real Yeshua. They didn't have faith, and they, they were pushed out of the land. So there is a distinction, a connection between the revelation of Yeshua in Joshua, who shares the same name, and the children of Israel saying, for 40 years, you won't go in. And when the real Yeshua, the Messiah, shows up, and again, they didn't have faith. It's the same reason. They didn't have faith to take the land. They also did not have faith in the Messiah. God said, for not just 40 years, 40, and this, I feel he showed me this, 40 jubilees, 2,000 years, you will be outside the land. And God works that way. He works. He's very mathematical with that stuff. 40 jubilees, that's 2,000 years, you will be outside the land. So if that is the case, and if I'm seeing this correctly, the next few verses and few Torah portions, because the children of Israel are now back in the land after 2,000 years. So if we look at the things that come after this event in the Torah, after the 40 years of silence, you will see prophetically what is happening in this day and what is to come. Because if that is sort of a timeline, a prophetic, even end times timeline, if you look at the end of the Torah, you will see what's going to happen at the end of the cycle. So what we see when the children of Israel were about to enter the land, I mean, the Torah is actually coming to a close. I know we have a whole nother book of Deuteronomy coming up, but Deuteronomy is actually a repeat of what we already read. That's why in Latin, I guess they called it Deuteronomos, the second telling of the law. The story actually ends at the end of the book of Numbers, which is pretty much where we are right now. Deuteronomy is Moses' swan song. It's just before they enter the land, they're on the other side of the river, and Moses kind of repeats everything. So now we're at the end of the Torah, and we see some things that pertain to what's happening now. The first thing we see is that Israel wanted to come into the land, and there were people that would not let them through. Same thing happened. When Israel was about to be a nation, there were nations that did not want them to enter in. We see other nations. We see um, the Amorites actually provoke, actually start war with Israel. There's not a single war in the Torah that Israel provoked on his own. This, the, the nations provoked the war for Israel, actually attacked them. We see that in this time. We saw nations come against Israel militarily. So we see the revelation of Yeshua, the 40 years of silence or the 40 jubilees, and now the entrance to Israel happens. It's exactly the same thing that happened in our day. And we see nations saying, you can't come in. And we see other nations come against them militarily. Enter this week's Torah portion. The final thing 
that happens is sexual immorality becomes rampant in the congregation of God. All through the 40 years, they struggled with faith. They struggled with, um, uh, you know, trusting God. They even struggled with idolatry. But now at the end, we see in this Torah portion, sexual immorality, not just, be, it wasn't just something that happened. It became rampant in the camp and they actually became haughty about it. The Midianite women came in and they just had this whole orgy thing going on and they were like in your face about it. It says they went right in front of Moses and Aaron and taking these women right into the, in front of everybody. It was like, you got a problem with this? Watch this. And it's the same thing I believe we're seeing in this day. We're seeing the, the normalization of immorality. But after that, there was a shift where the son of the priest, Pinchas, rises up with zeal and does something radical. And I believe we're in the time when Adonai is going to raise up zeal in his congregation, in his body, for righteousness. And say the buck stops here. But a, not, a, not a fleshly fight. Something from the Lord. A boldness from the Lord. A zeal from the Lord for his law. Because the church may be good at saying the law has been done away with. But all the morality that the church feels passionate about it, guess what? It's here. Paul in the New Testament didn't make any of it up. It's all Torah. And the, 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 the love and passion for the word of God and what God says is true is going to reach a point, I believe, in the body of Messiah where he's a, a divine spirit of zeal will rise up in the body of Messiah like it did with Pinchas, Phineas. But with this day, we're not talking about killing people like Phineas did. That that's sin. That's putting a sword into sin. That's not people. That's sin. That's why you can read Joshua conquering the Canaanites and go, yeah, because it, it's, it's sin. It's not people groups. It's sin. Joshua conquering the Canaanites is Yeshua eradicating all sin. So once this happens, once this immorality reaches this, this crescendo where the body of Messiah says no more and Adonai pours out zeal, we're at the end of the story. The next thing that happens is Joshua takes over the land, conquers the land, and destroys all sin. We are right at the cusp of the return of the Messiah. There is something that happened in this Torah portion that we need to be mindful of. There is a prophet in this Torah portion, not of the people of Israel, not of the congregation of Israel. His name was Bilam, or as in the English translations, Balaam, 
Like bail him out of jail. But in Hebrew, it is Bil'am. 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 We must hear this as a congregation, as a body. Bil'am heard the voice of the Lord. Bilam had the spirit of God upon him. It says in this Torah portion, the Ruach HaKodesh came upon Bilam and he spoke blessing over the people. But Bilam was compromised. See, we see Bilam as kind of like the human expression of the donkey. He's just some guy from the nations who the Lord opened up his mouth and he, he really had nothing to do with it. And I really believe that. I believe the donkey and Bilam are one. Everybody knows the story of the donkey. That's one story in the Torah that kind of made its way throughout the body. Because everybody at least one time in their life have said, if God can use a donkey, he could use me. If God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through me. Now, I don't know if you're just calling yourself stupid or you're calling yourself an ass. I assure you, you are neither of them. But everybody says that if God can use a donkey. Do you understand I'm only a rabbi to make my wife laugh? Do you understand that? If I could do that, mission accomplished. Ministry number one, sitting right there. Where was I? Bil'am. He heard from the Lord, but he was compromised. And what Paul shared was right. The sexual immorality that happened in the camp just after the story, of, and we know the story, there was a king. His name was Balak. He hired, like a hired hand, he hired Bil'am, the prophet, a curse because he knew like oh my gosh we can't take these guys militarily so curse them and Balaam said I can only do what the Lord Lord tells me to do and it's a Balaam was a twist because Balak who is from Moab who are the descendants of Lot they knew Abraham you know what he said to Balaam who you bless is blessed who you curse is cursed what does that sound like Abraham it, but it's a twist. So it's like they got the word, but it's twisted. So Balak hires Bilam. And Bilam goes on to these high places, you know, looks at the congregation of Israel and could not speak a word against them. But after it was all said and done, and Paul said it 100% right, in other places in scripture. See, we see Balaam as just a character, kind of like us. He speaks the word of the Lord. He's a prophet. But when it was all said and done, and he got off of the high place and was at the level of Balak, he went to Balak. And the whole sexual immorality episode where the Midianite women came in you know, and seduce the men, and there wound up being sexual immorality normalized in the camp. That was Bilam's idea. 
So we don't realize that when we just read the story and he's just some donkey guy that's just kind of blah, blah, blah from the, from the Lord. But he hated Israel. And when it was all said and done and he came down to the level of Balak, the evil ruler, he said, listen, you really want to get this guy, introduce sexual immorality into that camp and that will weaken them. I ask you and charge you today, who are you serving? Are you serving the Lord or are you serving Balak, the leader, the pagan leader? Because we all are a little bit of Bilam. We hear from the Lord, but we're in the world. But Bilam served two masters. He served the Lord, but he also served Balak, the leader, the king, who had no interest in the Lord. So I ask the prophets here today, who are you serving? Who is your master? Who's your daddy? Are you uncompromised? Or are you, I'm sorry to say this. I won't say it. I won't say it. Are you in an unholy alliance with the kings of this world? Because the kings of this world are not the kingdom of our God. When God says he's a king of kings, you are those kings. He's not talking about world leaders. Bilam was somebody who legitimately heard the word of the Lord, but was compromised because he was influenced by the world leaders. Are we overly influenced by politics? Are we overly influenced by the work, the, the, the ins and outs, the goings and the comings of the worldly system? You are not part of that system. You are of the higher kingdom. Hallelujah. And I don't care who's in office and I don't care what country it is. That's the system of the world. I charge you to be higher than that and not get sucked down into the, the, the fights of this world. Do you know when Bilam the prophet heard accurately? When he was up high. That's when he saw accurately. That's when he went on the high place and he saw the congregation of Israel. And he said, I don't see any fault in them. How can I curse who is blessed? How can I curse who is blessed? Matovu, oh halecha Yaakov, Mishkano Techa, Yisrael. How lovely are your tents, O oh Jacob, your tabernacles, O oh Israel. 
Do you know what was happening in the camp down below when he was saying that? Grumbling, anger, resentment, hatred for their leader, wanting to go back to slavery, on the verge of a massive sexual immorality. What's the word when like a, 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 a the virus takes over the whole epidemic. Em- epidemic? On the verge of that, on the verge of a plague. It wasn't pretty down there. From that level, it wasn't pretty. From that level, it looked really out of control. From that level, it looked like we needed to take some action here. From the level that Bilam was at, all he could say was, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your tabernacles, O Israel. When he came down from that level to the level of the evil Balak, he said, I have a better idea. What level are you operating at? Are you operating from a high level so you can see the vantage point of this world, of your friends, of your family, of your house, and see, Adonai, what is your perspective on this? Because when I am down level to level, I'm seeing the perspective of the world. But Adonai is calling in this time a body that is not sucked in to the system of the world, but is operating in the, in the level of the kingdom of God. Not at the level of the world. I've shared this before here, and I'm going to share it again. It wasn't just Israel that has to make the decision between Yeshua and Barabbas. We all do. Every moment, somebody ticks us off. Pilate's talking to us in our heads. Who do you want? See, Pilate always has the English accent in the Passion Place. Who do you want? But he's speaking in our heads at all times. Who do you choose? Yeshua or Barabbas? Barabbas in Aramaic means son of the father. He's an antichrist. He's a false messiah. He is the revolutionary. He's the one who wants to kick out Rome by force. Power to the people. That is Barabbas. That spirit is rising up in this world. The lawlessness spirit is rising up in this world. And I ask the prophets like Bilam, are you compromised by that? Are you compromised by the way the world is going? I ask you, prophets, do you want Yeshua? Or do you want Barabbas? Because if in our hearts we want Barabbas, he'll give you Barabbas. And just look at the history of Israel. It didn't work out so well for them. One generation after they chose Barabbas, that revolutionary spirit was unleashed in Israel. And they tried to take out Rome, the ones that Yeshua said of, carry their packs. What do you mean carry their packs? There are Jews on crosses every day, dying before our eyes. He said carry their packs. 
carry it an extra mile. They hit you in the cheek, just give your other cheek. Don't be afraid of those who can only, what? Take your life. Only take my life? Isn't that it? Apparently not, we heard from Naisha. Apparently not, we heard from Naisha. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Yeshua taught us how to come down off that high place. He's the one who showed us how to do it right. Because he came down from heaven to the level of man, but not to join the fight, to save and not to judge and to bring them to the place that Naisha saw. So if you are in this place where you where the, you're, you're, you're come down to the level of humanity, remember it's not to join the fight, it's to save. It's to bring healing. Chris, can you come forward and start the play? Father, we thank you, Adonai, for this time. Lord, we are in a time where your zeal, Father, rise up your zeal, your zeal for your word. Father, we're in a time when, when, when unprecedented, there are Christians around the world who are starting to love your Torah. How does this happen? It is only a divine thing. Father, rise up zeal in the body, in your body. Uncompromised zeal. Father, help us to look in places in ourselves where we are compromised. Help us to look in, in, the, in, our play, in ourselves, Lord God, when we're hearing the systems of the world. Because the system of the world, the governors of the world, the kings and presidents of the world will always fail you. And if, you're, if you are, if you are un, in an unholy alliance with them, you will find yourself in a place of compromise because they, they'll do this right, but now you've got to defend all the stuff that they do wrong. Do you understand that? If you are in an unholy alignment, alliance with the kings of this world, you'll cheer when they do, it, do things right, but you'll, you'll, you'll give them excuses when they do things wrong. And you compromise. The word of God is eternal. Rise up, Adonai, in your body with zeal. Zeal for your word. Uncompromised. Don't listen to the systems of the world. There is a line drawn in the sand. There is a line drawn in the sand. And it is your word, Adonai. We're not going to retranslate it. We're not going to redefine it. Thank you, Adonai. Blessed is your name. Blessed is your name. Blessed is the name of the King, the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. Blessed is the name of the King, the Holy One of Israel. Holy One of Israel. Kavod Adonai, the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. Kadosh Lecha, you are holy, for you are holy. For you are holy. For you are holy. Thank you, Adonai. If what you, if what you showed me is true, that, that, the, that the normalcy of sexual immorality, and, and not just the normalcy of it, the in-your-face of it, if that is the priest recursor of Joshua rising up, Father, then we are close to the return of your son to this earth. And we thank you, Adonai. Help us to have our lamps lit, and whatever, whatever all that means. <laughs> Help us, Adonai. 
We love you. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And help us to know that from your perspective, from the eyes of heaven, you're looking over the things that we're praying against. And, and oh, Lord, help me on my family, on oh, my kids. Help, me, help us to realize, Adonai, that from your perspective, you're saying, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Oh, Adonai, we're in so much trouble. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Oh, Adonai, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm fighting with my husband. I'm fighting with my wife. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your tabernacles, O Israel. I see no fault here. Oh, Adonai, I'm struggling with this ailment. Oh, Adonai, take this ailment from me. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your tabernacles, O Israel. Never mind that. Help, Lord, help! How lovely are your tents, O Jacob! Your tabernacles, O Israel! If a, if a walking donkey can say that, then we can believe it. Help us, Adonai, to look at our lives our pers- from, from the perspective of heaven, not from the perspective of of the world, of where the issues seem so unsolvable. Blessed are you, Lord. Blessed are you, Lord. Thank you, Adonai, that when you said you were king over all the earth, you didn't leave anything untouched in that. Thank you when you said every knee shall bow. There wasn't a knee that you excluded from that. I speak that over the things that you say are problems in your lives. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Yeshua HaMashiach is Adonai.